Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Well, thank you, Christine, for reading for us. Do please keep your Bible open at Psalm 25. We'll be looking at that over the next few minutes. And on your way in, you should have received a handout as well, which you might want to um, keep within eyeshot so that uh, you can see where we're going through uh, the next few minutes. Uh, Well, before we begin, let me just pray for us again as we come to the Lord's Word. Show us your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. Please give us hearts that are eager to hear your word, humble before it, and thirsty for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I was reversing our car up a road, and I wasn't paying proper attention, and I ended up scraping it right against a big flower pot. Um, I say a flower pot, it, was, it actually had a tree in it. It was huge. I really had no excuse for missing it. Now, um, uh, what annoyed me most about that situation wasn't really that I now had a big scratch along my car door, but it was this, it was that I had done it. Now, this is terrible to admit, but I would have much preferred it, she's not here this evening, if my wife had done it. 
Um, or perhaps if a stranger had just driven their car against ours, that would have been a whole lot easier because I would have had someone else to blame. That would have been a lot easier for me. What was really annoying, what was nagging away at me, was that I had no one to blame but myself. Now, that's a really, really trivial example. But that is something of the dynamic of what's going on here in Psalm 25. David, the king of Israel, is facing a very, very tough time. But it's made worse by the fact that he's brought it on himself. Not by a silly mistake, but by serious wrongdoing. And so he's got no one else to blame. Just two verses into this psalm, it looks like David's big issue is simply that he's under attack from his enemies. Have a look at verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. We see that again in verse 19. See how my enemies have increased against me and how fiercely they hate me. And so David, the king of Israel, is under threat from enemies and he's afraid of the public shame that would result from him losing the throne. Look at verse two. Do not let me be put to shame. And verse 20, guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame. David's enemies are rising up and he's under threat. But something deeper is going on in this psalm. There's something that makes this trial David's facing even harder to cope with, and it's what I've already mentioned, is that he recognizes it's the result of his own sin. That's why three times in this psalm, David admits his sin and asks the Lord for forgiveness. He knows he's got himself into this mess, and it's gnawing away at him. Have a look at verse 17. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress, and take away all my sins. David's torn up inside because he's got no one to blame but himself. Now, if we were to make an educated guess, we would probably say that this psalm happened sometime after David slept with Bathsheba. You know what happened next? She got pregnant, and to try and cover it all up, he had her husband killed. And soon afterwards, God said to David that the consequence of this would be that his family would be fraught by with infighting. And then, sure enough, David's son Absalom rose up against his dad and tried to take the throne. So that's probably the situation that is going on here. He was responsible for the mess he was in, and he knew it. And in various ways, we all face tough times as a result of our own sin and wrongdoing. I think of a relationship that a number of years ago I ruined because of one cruel thing that I said. That relationship never recovered. It was painful for them, painful for me, and it was my fault. I had to face the consequences of my sin, but also the conviction of my sin. I knew I was wrong. And when we think about it, I think we all have times like that. We say something in anger, and then it causes pain in a relationship that everyone feels. We sin sexually and feel a horrible distance from God as a result. We squander our time and then know the sadness of missed opportunities. We waste our money and then find ourselves in financial difficulty. We mistreat our bodies and suffer the side effects. At other times, we might face a difficulty that doesn't appear to be our fault. We appear to be the victim. But Psalms like this encourage us 
to examine our hearts more closely and to ask, is there any extent to which I've got myself in this mess? Any way in which I've contributed to the trouble that I'm facing? Perhaps I've been hurt in a relationship, but did I take my eyes off the Lord and start to trust others to fulfill my deepest needs? I may feel like the victim of uncontrollable sexual desires in a society that bombards me with sexual imagery and thinking, but what have I done to make that struggle harder? What have I exposed myself to? Look, of course, I'm not saying that if you're facing a tough time, then it must somehow be your fault. I'm not saying that, and here's why. The Bible is very clear that's often not the case. What I am saying is this. Be careful not to assume that because you're the victim of someone else's sin, that you don't need to also look at your own heart. David could have simply blamed his enemies for the difficulties he was facing. But he also turned the spotlight on his own heart, as we'll see in this psalm. And here's the headline. If I'm, if I'm in doing that, if in turning the spotlight on my own heart, I find that I'm in a mess as a result of my own sin, what do I do? In Psalm 25, David shows us, when times are tough, seek the Lord. Look at verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. When David was facing a tough time, he didn't distract himself with TV or drink or comfort eating or doing some exercise or whatever it might be. He sought the Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To lift up your soul to the Lord is an intimate thing of prayer. It's holding out everything you are to him and saying, here I am. It's holding nothing back, nothing hidden. You lay everything out on the table. Now, I don't pray like that as much as I would like to. But I really would like to. And if you would too, then David in this psalm invites us to look at his prayer life. And what we have is a model for how to seek the Lord when times are tough. In this psalm, each new line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It was written like that to make it easier to remember, so I thought I'd try something similar tonight. But before you panic and think you've got a 26-point sermon on your hands, if you look down at the handout, I've narrowed it down to just four, A, B, C, D. What do I do when I'm suffering from both the consequences and the conviction of my sin? Seek the Lord. But what does that look like? Here are four things, A, B, C, D. Four things that show us what it looks like to seek the Lord. And the first one is, A, admit your sin and ask for forgiveness. Have a look at verses six and seven. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Did you notice what David does and doesn't want God to remember there? He asks God not to remember the sins of his youth, but instead, verse six, remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. And the second half of verse seven, according to your love, remember me. David doesn't make excuses for his sin here. He might have said, okay, Lord, I slept with Bathsheba, but remember, I'm just a red-blooded man. Give me a break. He might have said, I've made some mistakes, but remember, O Lord, being a king is really quite hard work and I was under a lot of pressure at the time. 
No, David knows that the only grounds he has to ask God to not remember his sin is God's mercy and love. So rather than excuse himself, he says, remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. Neither does he downplay his sin. Look at verse 11. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, my wrongdoing, though it is great. A small sorry is much easier to say than a big one, isn't it? And so it's tempting to believe that our sins are small and that they don't matter that much. But David doesn't make that mistake. Forgive my sins, not because they are small, but though it is great. It might be easier to pretend our sin is small, but if we're going to seek the Lord in an authentic and a real way, we have to admit our sin, to own it, and ask for forgiveness without excusing or downplaying it. That's why when we, when we seek the Lord together on Sundays, we say a confession like the one earlier in this meeting. It's easy to let the words we say wash over you, but just grab your service sheet again. Let me just remind you of what, what it says. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and the wickedness we have committed time after time by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty. We have provoked your righteous anger and your indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are deeply sorry for these, our wrongdoings. The memory of them weighs us down. The burden of them is too great for us to bear. You see, we don't excuse or downplay our sin. We lift our souls up before the Lord and we say, Lord, here I am. Forgive me. If you find it helpful, do take that away with you at the end of the service. Tuck it inside the front of your Bible. And when you do your quiet time in the morning or whenever you do it, uh, put it out. Read that prayer regularly. Admitting our sin before God like this and asking for forgiveness is not easy. Elton John was right about this. Sorry really does seem to be the hardest word. But that hardest word is how we begin to seek the Lord. Secondly, B, be humble and teachable. Look down at verse four. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my saviour and my hope is in you all day long. The common male stereotype is that we do not ask for directions and we don't look at instructions. That is, of course, until we're horribly lost or we find ourselves in the middle of some DIY disaster And then we can just about muster the humility to ask someone else for their guidance. Well, David's reached that point. And so he pleads with God, show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth. When we seek the Lord, we don't just say sorry for having walked in the wrong paths. We ask him to show us the right ones. When you're sorry for living wrongly, you want to live rightly, don't you? And the great news is that when we want the Lord to instruct us and teach us, he will. Look at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. How stunningly gracious and kind. He instructs sinners, though we don't deserve it. Sometimes the requirements for receiving tuition are very high, aren't they? Some of you here, I imagine, will be waiting for exam results that will decide whether or not you're allowed to go into a particular university and receive tuition there. 
Uh, the top schools all require huge sums of money to be paid for children to study there. And so most people are excluded just by that. But to be taught by the Lord himself, your king and creator, the only requirements are these, being a sinner and being humble. Verse 8, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to have a particular social standing or financial backing. You have to be humble. Some of you here this evening will feel a bit like you're not the sharpest tool in the box. Sometimes you'll, you'll sit in a small group feeling like everyone's a little bit smarter than you. What does Isaiah 66 verse 2 say? This is the one I esteem, says the Lord, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Not the one who is smart or well-read or articulate. No, the one who is humble and teachable because they tremble at his word. If you are humble and teachable, the Lord loves that. He esteems you. And he will show you his way and guide you in what is right. Verse 14 goes even further than that. Have a look. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Isn't that just wonderful? Think of what that means. When you read the Bible, if you listen closely to the Lord, you'll hear him whispering to you things that you've never known before. Beautiful promises kept just for those humble enough to seek his voice. Friends, are you listening to him? Are you straining to hear? Go to bed on time tonight. Rise early in the morning and seek him in his word. And wouldn't it be great with the Bible open on your lap to use verses four and five as a prayer? We've heard them several times already tonight. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my saviour and my hope is in you all day long. Persevere in reading the Bible like that and he will esteem you and guide you. The third way to seek the Lord when times are tough is C, contemplate the character of the Lord. Did you notice how in verse 8, David switched from speaking to God to, switching about, to talking about God? Have a look at the end of verse 7. It ends, for you are good, O Lord. Verse 8 begins, good and upright is the Lord. He pauses, praying for a moment, to contemplate the character of the Lord. So if you find yourself flagging in your prayers, as I often do, you might just need a strong coffee. But if that doesn't work then pause to contemplate the character of the Lord you're praying to. It will sustain you in your prayer. So David pours out his love for the character of the Lord. Verse 8, he's good and upright. He instructs sinners. Verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right. Verse 11, he's forgiving. Verse 14, he confides in those who fear him. Verse 15, he helps those in trouble. Also in the psalm, we read that he's gracious to the lonely. He frees people from their anguish. He guards and guides and redeems his people from all their troubles. This is why we pray. Do you see? Because we pray to one like this. Because we contemplate the character of the Lord and it drives us back to pray. Now able to pray as we wouldn't have been otherwise. And knowing God is like this, well, it makes that hardest word so much easier to say. I'll admit my sin to the Lord because I know that if I do, he won't slap me down or make me feel small for it. 
David cries out twice in this psalm, do not let me be put to shame. And he does that because he can imagine in his head the, the, the gleeful voices of his enemies celebrating his downfall. Here's David, everyone. Look at what comes of someone who trusts in the Lord. When we're facing the consequences and conviction of our sins, we too can sometimes hear a voice telling us that God will abandon us. Our sin will push his patience past breaking point. He hasn't got time for a loser like me. He won't love me. He'll hang me out to dry. He'll put me to shame. It's so sad that we, when we most need the Lord, we can be driven away from him because we fear a frosty reception. But contemplate the character of the Lord when he came in the flesh. Look at how Jesus treated those who came to him, admitting their sin and asking for forgiveness. He didn't publicly shame them. He privately forgave them. Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and what did Jesus say to him? We don't know. It's not in the Bible. All we know is that Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus privately in the house and that he was so radically changed that he came out of the house and, and, and was speaking to everyone and promised to give them four times as much that he had stolen from them. He didn't, Jesus didn't give Zacchaeus a public dressing down. He spoke to him privately in the house with words that changed his life. Or think of Peter the disciple who betrayed Jesus the night before he was crucified. Three times denying that he knew Jesus And then after Jesus' resurrection, he saw Peter again when they and the other disciples were sitting on the beach around a campfire next to Lake Galilee. And as they all sat around that fire cooking fish, Jesus, he didn't say to Peter, oh, hi, Peter, how are you? Um, Would you like to let everyone else know about your performance the other night or shall I? No, he took Peter and went for a walk with him down the beach, just the two of them. And they spoke. And he welcomed him back. Finally, think of the woman who came to Jesus and washed his feet with her tears. The people there criticized her because she was a notorious sinner. But what did Jesus do? He defended her. And he sent her away in peace. He didn't put her to shame. Some here tonight are tempted to think that if you come to God and admit your sin... He'll make you squirm. Maybe you've experienced asking someone for forgiveness and having it rubbed in your face. Jesus isn't like that. He doesn't want to put you to shame. Even when we've been slow to ask for forgiveness, he's quick to give it, and he doesn't make you feel the cost. He's gentle and kind. He's loving and faithful. Tomorrow, my family and I will move into our home We moved to Sheffield a few weeks ago, and uh, when we had moved up, we hadn't actually seen the house that we would finally be moving into, apart from a few photographs. So we went to look around the house, and I went upstairs to the front bedroom, and suddenly I stopped in my tracks, because there was this gorgeous view out of the window across the valley. And I just found myself being drawn towards the window, just going, wow. And I stood there for several minutes, just taking it in. It was beautiful. You can see I'm looking forward to living there, can't you? I'll just be standing by that window looking for hours. Contemplate the character of the Lord. Be like David in verse 15 where he says, my eyes are ever on the Lord. And you'll find yourself strangely drawn to him 
because he's beautiful and good. You'll also find it a lot easier to depend on the Lord in prayer. That's what David does next in this psalm. And it's the fourth way we seek the Lord when times are tough. D, depend on the Lord in prayer. Have a look at verse 16. And see all the requests in these verses that David makes of the Lord. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. David pours out his requests to the Lord. Turn to me, be gracious, free me, look, see, take away all my sins. Guard, rescue, redeem. And notice that David prays in a way that is dependent on the Lord. Verse 20, I take refuge in you. 21, my hope is in you. Christian, when times are really tough, don't turn to the bottle or the TV or whatever else it might be. Seek the Lord by depending on him in prayer. Find your refuge and your hope in him. Pour out your heart to him. Lift up your soul. If you find that a struggle, try going somewhere where you can be sure that no one will hear you and then pray out loud. I find it quite helpful sometimes to pray in the car. I I normally do that when I'm traveling from A to B, but I have actually gone and just sat in the car to pray even when I haven't got anywhere to go. So think about that. If If you're in a crowded house, you've really got nowhere else to go, just go and sit out in the passenger seat on the street and have a little pray. Or maybe you could uh, go for a walk somewhere where you can see that there's no one, no one around you. And then you can just speak to God. Just speak normally. I wasn't going to mention this, but I have actually sat in Western Park down the way, uh, praying out loud with my phone against my face, just so that anyone passing by might think that I'm on the phone. You can try that if you want. One tip, if you do that, put it on silent, because if you're talking on the phone and then it rings, you look a bit stupid. But uh, there we are. Just let it out. That's my point. Just go somewhere where you can pray openly and normally with God. Of course you can pray to God in your head, but it's normal to, pray to, peop- to talk to people out loud, isn't it? So if you'd find that helpful, go somewhere where you can really just open up, tell God how you're feeling, And remember, you don't have to find some fancy form of words to do that. Just throw yourself on God because you've contemplated his character and you know what he's like. He's one you can trust and depend on. So friends, where will you turn when times are tough? For some of you, that's not a hypothetical question. You're going through tough times right now. The situation is probably spinning around your head even as I speak. And it's all made harder if, to some extent, you've contributed to that mess. Others here will be in an all right place right now, no major trials. Learn how to seek the Lord now so you're ready in tougher times. They will come, and it's so much easier to learn to seek the Lord now than it will be then. When we face tough times, whether that's now or in the future, you'll be tempted not to pray, not to ask for forgiveness, or look to the Lord to teach you not to slow down and contemplate his character, not to depend on him in prayer. But Psalm 25 teaches us to lift up our souls to the Lord by doing exactly those things and to put our hope in him with the great assurance of verse three. 
that no one whose hope is in the Lord will ever be put to shame. Will we still face the consequences of our sin? Yes, probably. But we won't face the judgment for our sin. We won't face the shame that David feared. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, thank you for being here. We value you being with us. Everyone in this room who is a Christian has at some point admitted their sin and asked God for forgiveness. They've put their hope in the Lord Jesus, and that's really all it means to become a Christian. There are no extra qualifications needed. Now, it can feel like a very hard step to admit your wrongdoing to God, but it's easier if you know what he's like, that he won't put you to shame or make you feel the cost of your forgiveness. If you can feel yourself being drawn to him tonight, I urge you to put your hope in him. Do speak to me afterwards if you'd like to. As we draw to a close, let me ask this. How can we know that this is true? How can we know that if we put our trust in the Lord that he won't let us be put to shame? When our sins line up to accuse us, what assurance do we have that this is true? Well, consider this. God does not punish sin twice. That would be unfair. Sin is punished once, and then it's finished with. This last week, I read a story of a 90-year-old man who, a number of years ago, asked his church pastor to come and visit him, and he said this. Since I've been lying here so weak, my memory keeps bringing up the sins of my youth, and I cannot get them out of my mind. They keep crowding in on me, and I cannot help thinking of them. The pastor turned to Psalm 25 and read verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Then he said to the man, when you came to the Lord 70 years ago, you confessed your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Don't you remember that when you confessed your sins, God said, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. If God has forgotten them, why should you think about them? The man relaxed and replied, I'm an old fool, remembering what God has forgotten. If your hope is in the Lord and if you look to him to take away all your sins, they're finished. They're finished because Jesus willingly bore the punishment for them on the cross. He endured the shame and death you and I deserved, but now that's finished. He said so as he died. Jesus has, as someone put it, carried our sins into a land of forgetfulness. Friends, don't remember what God has forgotten and don't fear what Jesus has finished. Instead, when facing tough times, put your hope in the Lord Be quick to admit your sin and mistakes. Be humble before his word. Contemplate his magnificent character. Put your hope in him. And let your eyes ever be full of him who will at the last redeem his people from all their troubles. Let's pray.
Show us your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. When times are tough, guide us in your truth and teach us. Help us not to turn to other things, but to seek you, for you are God our Saviour. And may our hope be in you all day long, until that final day when you will redeem us from all our troubles through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.